As we come to God's Word this morning, let's just bow before Him. Let's ask Him to make words truth in us and to make words seed planted in our hearts. Let's come before Him in prayer. Yes, Lord, as You broke the bread beside Galilee, as we've just sung, Lord, break the bread of Your Word to us now. Lord, help us to eat of it and to be fed by it and to be nourished by it. But Lord, we know that we are dependent on Your Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, through Your Spirit, work in us now as we open Your Word. And then, Lord, be glorified through our obedience, we pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in the book of Luke again as we continue our studies. I love doing this, you know, you can go away, you can come back and you just carry on the next verse. There's no wondering, what shall I do this Sunday? It's really easy. And the Lord uses that, you know. Um, I've seen it time and time again as we just study our word and as things are happening in the church, the Lord speaks to those specific things through that very passage we're looking at this specific Sunday. And so I pray that He'll do that work in us this morning. And so we're in... The book of Luke, chapter 9, we are making progress, chapter 9 and we're in verses 57 to 62. So read through with me please, Luke chapter 9 verse 57. As they, that is Jesus and his disciples and followers, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There are millions and millions of people on this earth that call themselves Christians. And there are less such a number who call themselves followers of Jesus. And then there are even fewer that are really disciples of Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. What has it cost you to date to follow Jesus Christ? Has it cost you anything? What has it cost you to follow Jesus Christ? The passage we're looking at this morning is a passage where Jesus spells out to his disciples what the cost of discipleship is. You see, if you look a little bit ahead, what he's going to do next is he's going to send 70 of them out. But now he spells out to them, it's going to cost you to be my follower. Are you ready to pay that cost? And that is the question we're going to be dealing with this morning. And so I'm sorry, it's not going to be all bright flowers this morning. It's going to be a cost-counting exercise. Have you counted the cost of calling yourself a follower of Jesus Christ? 
In the previous passage we'd seen Jesus' determination to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem and all the events there to die there for all those who would put their trust in him. And this is contrasted in this passage we see this morning by this weak conditional commitment of three would-be followers. And Jesus addresses them. You see, they were walking along the road and they didn't get in their car and travel along and watch DVD players like we do with our children today. Jesus and his disciples would walk along the roads, dusty roads, and they would walk long distances together. And as you do, even men, you talk. You talk along the road, right? You see things, you comment on them, or they would be bringing up various topics of conversation with each other and with Jesus. So put yourself in that situation. Here is this group of people walking along a dusty road and conversation strikes up. And as we see in verses 57 to 58, one of these conversations starts like this. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. What a great conversation. Who is this person? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 8 verse 19 that the speaker is a teacher of the law, a scribe. Now that should tell us a little bit already. It could have been genuine. It could have been a genuine statement. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But knowing the teachers of the law and the scribes who would make up a crowd of people following a rabbi because they wanted to be part of this excitement, It was most probably, and I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt this morning, it was most probably a sweeping statement of bravado. And why do I say that? Because of Jesus' response later. How does Jesus answer him, you see? This man makes a sweeping statement. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. It was a statement more of self-importance. It was maybe even a statement of currying favour, of looking good. You see... This scribe had seen the crowds, he'd seen Jesus performing miracles, he'd been in the middle of the action, and maybe this was a a statement to try and stay in the middle of all this action. Jesus, I will follow you, because I want to see what happens. You see, Jesus' response tells us a lot. Jesus warns this man. And he responds to the section of his statement, wherever you will go. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds to that, but And what does he say to him? He says to him, will you really do that? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, as they were walking along these dusty roads, they would come across fox warrants, holes in embankments where foxes would stay. And foxes were plentiful in their countryside because it's a dry, arid countryside. And as they were walking along, they'd see bird nests in the low bushes and in the trees along the roadside. And so Jesus takes these everyday examples that he sees around them and he says to them, even these foxes that you see so often have holes and even the birds of the air have nests, but me, the Son of Man, I have nowhere to lay my rest. What's his point? He was saying that even the Son of Man, God's own Son, the Creator of the whole universe, including the foxes and the birds, even this one had no place to return to as his place of comfort and rest. 
And so to this follower of him who'd say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus saying to him, there's a cost to what you're saying. There's a cost to being a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to pay that cost? And those same implications are there for you and I as we sit in this church so many thousands of, so many hundreds and a couple of thousand of years later. There are costs to following Jesus. What are those costs? Self-denial. Sacrifice. Service. Suffering. You see, discipleship means struggle. Discipleship means warfare. This is what we should paint on the outside of our doors. When you enter here, and when you enter and follow Jesus, it means warfare. It means sacrifice. It means service. It means suffering. I tell you, we'll have less people entering the buildings. If we put that on the advertisements for Christianity on the billboards that people use to try and attract people into churches, we'd have less Christian, less people coming into Christian churches. Instead of preaching easy believism, as is spouted by so many of the mega churches around, to draw people in, to get more of an income, we should be preaching these things. If you want to follow Jesus, it will cost you. And see, they don't. And so people stream in. Tell me this morning, are you willing to give up what you and others consider to be the necessities for the sake of Jesus Christ and His service? Listen to me. Are you willing to give it up if He requires you to? You see, He might not require you to give up everything. He might not say to you, sell your house, sell your car, sell all those necessities, get rid of them and go and serve me in a Philippine jungle for 30 years like the Birkinses. He might not do that. He might say, you can keep your car, you can keep your house, you can keep your luxuries, but are you willing to give them up for me? Are you? Are you willing to pay the price, to to count the cost to follow Jesus? Are you willing to give up your comforts and the easy life you have to follow Jesus? I'll take an example of Dave and Kim who went off to Arnhem Land, right? change the circumstances out of easy zone into a more difficult situation. And there they are serving the Lord. Now what if a message came back to us that said, we need 30 more people to go and we need them next week and we need them urgently because there's work that needs to be done and it's urgent. How many of us would be willing to go? If that was what the Lord impressed on your heart, I want you to go. Would you be willing to give up whatever it is? Whatever comes first to your mind now, would you be willing to give it up and to serve Jesus Christ? It's said that in World War I, the soldiers who wanted to enlist streamed into the enlistment offices because they thought all the war was was taking part in parades, in drills, in reviews. It was all about receiving medals and honour. And on many of the advertisements, that is what it was portrayed like. But those same soldiers soon found out what war was really about. About hardship, about toil, about perseverance, about danger, about injury, and yes, even death. And to be sure, there are glorious rewards for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to a time when we will have our reward. 
And yes, there is a time of joy. And there is a time of God providing for our needs. And the joy of being a Christianity, it's not all doom and gloom. But there is a cost at the very same time. You see, the narrow and the difficult way is the way that leads to the cross of Jesus Christ and home. Be under no illusion. It is not an easy walk to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Hebrews chapter 13. And if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 to 14. You want to know what it is to be a Christian? Here's the advertisement for Christianity. Look at it with me. And if you still want to sign up after this, you can sign up afterwards, alright? I have the lists ready. I think I'm only going to need one page. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 to 14. This is what Jesus said, uh, what Paul said. Jesus suffered and died outside of the city gates. Well, what's that got to do with anything? This was the place of shame. It was the place where refuse was tipped. It was the place where jackals were at night. It was the place where the lepers were. It was the place of disgrace. That's where Jesus died. The Son of Man. God's own Son. Jesus suffered and He died outside the city gates. Why? In order to make His people holy by shedding His own blood. Now, unfortunately, that's not where the Bible ends. That verse. There's another verse. Verse 13. This is what it says. And this is where you and I come in. This is what Paul says. So... Let us go out to him outside the camp. Oh dear. I've got to go into this place now? Into the place of disgrace? Yes, says Paul, and bear the disgrace that he bore. Why? Here's the reasoning. For this world is not our home. And we, lo- we are looking forward to our city in heaven, which is yet to come. You see, this isn't our home. This isn't our city. We look forward to another city. The great Jerusalem one day. That is our city. That's the one we look forward to. But the problem is, you see, we get so at home in this city that it's hard to do the Lord's work. And so Jesus says, can you count the cost? Can you be a disciple of mine? Are you in a wartime mindset while you're living on this earth? Are you willing to sacrifice all and everything for my sake, says Jesus Christ, for the spread of my kingdom message, are you willing to count the cost? Or maybe you like this scribe too. All talk, but no sacrifice. Scott Wesley Brown in that little song we sometimes play on mission events, he says it like this. He says, Lord, please don't send me to Africa. Keep me in my comfortable middle class pew. Is that where we are? You see, that's where the scribe was. He was willing to follow, but not count the cost. Are you? And then we have another conversation which takes place, verses 59 to 60. Now, it's very interesting, Jesus picks up on this thread of conversation. This man who volunteered his services. And Jesus says to another person, we're not told who, but it was one of the followers, he said, follow me. 
Jesus picks up the initiative. And what does this man say? It could have been a lady, we're not told. To another he said, follow me. But he said, and that was a he, sorry. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now on the face of it, that's not too bad a request. Lord, yes I'll follow you, but let me just go and bury my father. You see, if this man's father was dead, he would have been at the burial service already. But what is he saying? My father's not yet dead, but Lord, when he dies, let me just go then, and then, when that's done, I will come and follow you. In other words, not now. Lord, I'll follow you, but not now. I've still got some things to do, Lord. You need to wait a little while. I need to see if my father dies, because if he does... I might receive an inheritance and then circumstances could change and I don't need to follow you then. I just want to see how things work out, Lord, and then I'll follow you. 50-50. I just want to see how it pans out. You see, what Jesus wanted to do in his response to this person was to point out the radical transfer of loyalty that he demanded of his disciples. It's all or nothing with Jesus Christ. You can't just wait and see how things pan out and then decide to follow Jesus Christ. He says, I want you, the totality of you, now. Are you willing to follow me? This disciple wanted to be a disciple, but not immediately. He had things to do first. You know, I meet plenty of people like this around today. They float around the edges of our churches, attending services, Taking part and then they're gone. And you don't see them again. Then they might attend again and then they're gone. Not involved. Not serving. Not giving their gifts to the church that God has given to them. Not committed to serving Jesus with others. And some of them float around from church to church. And as soon as things get a little bit, nah, this is not quite what I want, they float off again to another church. I don't want to settle... I don't want to serve you now, Lord Jesus. I'll sort out my daily quiet time with Jesus later type person. Are you one of those? You see, the word later has turned so many away from Jesus Christ and it's made so many Christians ineffective for the kingdom. I'll do it later. That's what this man is saying. What is Jesus' response to him? To this man who says, I'll do it later. Jesus says to to him, allow the spiritually dead, and that's what that word is there, allow the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the offer of life. Now that sounds really harsh in our ears. Let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the message I've given you to proclaim. And to Jewish ears, that would have sounded outrageous. And most of those people following Jesus were Jews. That would have sounded outrageous because to a Jew, to bury their father was one of the greatest honours you could do. So how come you can say this, Rabbi? But what Jesus was saying to him was, what are your real priorities? Is your real priority this world and the cares of this world? or my kingdom, and those who have not yet heard and will die in the unbelief. Is that your priority in life? 
I want you to let the dead bury the dead, but you don't proclaim the message that I've given to you to proclaim. The Apostle Paul once again says it in this way, Romans chapter 10, and if you want to turn there with me as well, great passage, Romans chapter 10 verses 14 to 17. And this was one of the passages that was crucial in my life to really, that the Lord used to get me up, off the pew and into service for Him. Romans chapter 10 verses 14 to 17. But how can they, that is those who haven't yet heard, how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him, here it is, if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can they hear about Him? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent. That is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. You see, how can they go and tell unless someone sends? And how can these who don't know the Gospel, how can they hear unless someone goes to them? That's where you and I come in, because we know the message. And we've been given a mandate by Jesus Christ. Go into all the world. There it is on the back of our church wall. And go and make disciples of all nations. We've got the kingdom message. Are we going? You see, Jesus says to this man, I've got news for you. There's work to be done. There's urgency. I want you to commit now to me. Serve me now. Have a right relationship with me today. Not tomorrow. Not next week, not next year, not one day at the end of your life when you can spare the time. Now, today. If not, you're not ready to be my follower. It's quite hard, isn't it? Tell me, are you ready to serve Jesus Christ? Or are you saying, not now, not today. I've still got this and this to do. And then we have a third conversation, and that is, found in verses 61 to 62. Listen to these words. Yet another one of these crowds following Jesus said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say well, farewell to those at my home. I just want to go and say bye to my folks. Is that okay, Lord? What does Jesus say to him? No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you thought the first statement was harsh, This one sounds even more harsh. You see, all this man was saying is, Lord, I want to just go and fulfill this family duty of mine. Yes, I'll follow you, but I just want to go and say goodbye to my folks at home. You see, in this New Testament time when this passage was written, opposition was so strong against Jesus and his followers that many times family had to be left behind because they would reject the Messiah. Today, many Muslim countries, and some of you might even have experienced this in good old New Zealand among your family, when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you experience what? Opposition. And to many, especially in Muslim countries, it is total opposition, and sometimes even to the point of death. 
People are cut off from their families. And so Jesus is saying, no, there's no time to go and say goodbye to your family. Follow me now. Now, please hear me this morning. We are not starting a whole new sect here at Wanganui's Baptist Church saying, you need to be married to Jesus Christ. So forsake your family, don't speak to them again, and be married to Him alone. There are some that say that, by the way. We're not saying that this morning. But what is Jesus saying to you and I? He's saying to you and I, I want your full allegiance if you want to be my disciple. I don't want half of you, I want your full allegiance. Is your focus on me and my kingdom or on you and your kingdom? You see, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this to you and I. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Why? Because there's action that you need to be involved in. And so Jesus is saying to us, are you giving me your full attention as a believer? Are you girding up the loins of your mind? And how does he do that? He says that by quoting this well-known proverb. And this wasn't the proverb that Jesus made up, by the way about the plough. This was one that had been around for 800 years already. But Jesus quotes it and uses it for his purpose. He says this, he says, No one who has just put his hand to the plough and then continues to look back is fit for the kingdom of God. What? I can't even say goodbye to my parents? Come on, Jesus. What is he saying? Now, if you've ever been involved in ploughing, and I know Keith has, you'll know When you start ploughing and you want a straight furrow, you find a fixed point, you start the plough, and then you aim for a fixed point and you go for it. You don't look back again. You go for it. Because if you don't, you're going to wander all over the place. You see, Jesus is saying, if you have your focus on me, then you will plough a straight furrow for the kingdom. But when you get distracted by the things of this world, your furrow will be distracted as well. And your life will look like this. Wander all over the place. You see, Jesus had an Old Testament precedent for what he was saying. Who can you immediately think of about looking back? Lot's wife. Yes? Elisha, Elijah. The children of Israel. Lot's wife turned back. She looked back and what happened to her? bit harsh, eh? She was turned to salt immediately. Why? Was it just a matter of looking back? No. It was a matter of sin. Just doubt, you see. The Israelites, when they longed for the cooking pots and the fruits and things of Egypt, was their looking back just a culinary one? No. It was doubt. It was sin. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, He's saying those who cling to this life at all costs are not ready for the reformation that salvation brings. They have divided loyalties. Now I'll bring it to a language that everyone here can understand. The All Blacks. Imagine if the All Blacks were called to a sports camp, and I know they are, and they call to go on the sports camp and they're taken away for a week or two or three, whatever they do, And imagine if there they're on the sports camp and every now and then someone comes to the coach and says, Coach, I've got to go because I've got an appointment with a dentist or I've got to go and wash my car outside because my wife said it's dirty or I've got to go and take the dogs to the vet 
And everyone's hiving off all over the place. How do you think they'd fare in the big international competitions? I could tell you now they'd lose. Because they hadn't, hadn't put their concentration into what they were doing. They hadn't put all the efforts into what they were doing. You know, the Christian walk is not much different. We are called for battle. We are called to fight for the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, Jesus says, I want you to put your focus and all your energies into following me and to being my disciple. And yes, if it calls for it, there is not even time to say goodbye to your folks at home. Are you that serious about following me? Or maybe Christianity is just a hobby to you and I. We kind of do it when the time allows. Or maybe it's just a side interest to you and I. Tell me, are you seriously following Jesus Christ? Because if you think you can do it just as a hobby or a side interest, then I think this morning, by everything that Scripture says to you and I, you need to go and look again, do I understand what it means to be a born-again believer? Do I understand what it means to be saved? Why do I say that? You see, Jesus Christ went to that cross and He died on that cross for you. And He requires you to accept Him how much? 100% fully. And He's not satisfied with half of you. He's not satisfied with a quarter of you or even just a thousandth of you. He wants a total commitment from you. He gave Himself totally for you. He died for you in totality. All your sin He took on Himself if you would put all your trust in Him. And it's only if you give yourself to Him 100% that you will experience what grace is. God's love poured out to you freely. It's only when you give yourself to Him completely that He takes over your life completely. And then you experience what His grace can do for you. You see, God does not have spiritual half-casts as children. And I know that sounds harsh, but He doesn't. He doesn't have spiritual half-casts as children. Those who are 50% committed to Him and 50% committed to themselves. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so the summary of this um, specific conversation is this. Following Jesus is one thing. Being a disciple is quite another. Which are you? A follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ? No wonder the laborers of you. Well, that was those conversations, three of them. Where do you and I fit in? And so we come to the so what question. And I love these so what questions that we come to because it really drives it home. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would now do His work in you and I as we sit here this morning. How do these truths apply to you and I? You see, the first scribe was too ready to follow Jesus by mouth, but not by life. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? I want to urge you this morning with the help that the Holy Spirit will give you to do this, strip the front of your Christianity and follow Him in practice. Yes, people might think you're a Christian, but in, on your own, when no one's watching, you live quite another life. 
strip the front of Christianity and be a Christian in practice. Be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. Only with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit will you be able to get that right. To strip that front away and to be a disciple in practice. That's the first point. Don't be like that scribe. The second point is this, to you and I this morning. Are you too unready to follow Jesus? In other words, are there still other things that you need to do before you can follow Him? Does He need to wait a little while until you're ready and then you'll follow Him because you've got other priorities you need to sort out? Jesus says to you and I this morning, it's now or nothing. I know it sounds harsh, but the harshness comes from the Word. It's now or nothing. What excuses will you come up with next? And the third disciple, he was too divided. He kept looking back. The Apostle Paul gives you and I the answer for this one. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. This is what he says. And take encouragement from these words. This is how you become a disciple in practice to the Lord. Hebrews 12 12 verse 2 says this. The Apostle Paul, let us also lay aside every weight. In other words, the way the word he uses there for lay aside is throw it away. It's as if you're dragging all these weights around with you in life. He says throw them off you so that you're lighter. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Don't you know that? Before you can look at it, you're covered in sin again. It's inside you, outside you. Lay aside these things. And the sin too, which clings so closely. And can you do that on your own? No, only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can that sin be stripped away from you and make you fit for purpose? And then says the Apostle, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do you do that? Looking to Jesus for that straight furrow in the Christian walk. Looking to Jesus, the founder of and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. How do we run the race? Eyes on Jesus Christ. Everything else stripped away. All my energy devoted to him, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how I run the race. That's how I'm a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Tell me this morning as you sit here, are you a disciple? Are you in training as a disciple for Jesus Christ? Or are you a floater, floating around life? And you think Jesus is happy with it. How can you be in training practically? Well, we've got home groups every single week. Go and join a home group. Go and study God's Word. Go and sit around other believers who can get around you and help you to walk the walk when you are struggling. That is what the home groups are for. They're not just social get-together clubs. They're there for us to walk the walk together. Go and join the youth group if you're a youth here. Come and participate in events like tonight where you can put your Christianity into practice, where you can put yourself out there, where Jesus can put you out of your comfort zone. How we need to get pulled out of our comfort zones. True discipleship. Parents and children. 
Are you actively teaching your children God's Word? Are you putting yourself out there? Are you investing time in your children? That is true discipleship. Out there in the community. Are you living what it is to be a believer? And yes, sometimes that gets really uncomfortable because people will say to you, why do you do what you do? Why don't you do what you do? And they will persecute you. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you getting alongside someone else? When you see someone struggling, are you getting alongside them and encouraging them in the walk? That is also what it means to be a disciple. Tell me how many, and I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are involved in a relationship like this with someone else? And I'm not talking your husband or your wife. I'm talking about someone who is walking the walk and you can disciple them. How many of us are involved like that? Too few. That is being a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're just a crowd follower this morning. And so I want to ask you this question, and if you've heard nothing else, please turn up your hearing aid and listen now. If you hear nothing else, here's the question I want you to hear this morning. When it comes to following Jesus, who's following who? Are you following Jesus Christ on His terms? Or are you asking Jesus to follow you on your terms? I'll repeat my question. It's a very important question. Who's following who? Are you following Jesus Christ on His terms? Or are you asking Jesus to follow you on your terms? Look at your own life and let the Spirit do His work in you. Because we've all got a little bit of that in us. Jesus, follow me. This is my program. Are you totally committed to follow to following Jesus Christ. What will be said of your life one day when there's a kiss up here and you're lying inside it? What will be said of you one day? Will it be the same as with Caleb? Deuteronomy 1.36, this is what it says, Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I wonder what the label will be across my life when people talk about me one day. Calvin, what did he do? Did he follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Or will they talk about all the other achievements, if there might be any? That's one I want people to say one day, because I want the Lord to say it of me, He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That's the prayer on my life. I want to follow the Lord with my whole heart, all my dreams, all my goals, all my ambitions. You see, that's what true discipleship means. True discipleship begins when? When I've done a specific program first, you first need to all enroll and we'll do a discipleship program and then we can start to be disciples? No. When does true discipleship start with you and I? The moment we are born again. We put on army boots and true discipleship starts. And tell me, when does true discipleship end? When you retire? When you die. Because that is when the Lord allows you to take off the army boots. Because He takes them off. There are no retirement slippers in God's kingdom. How are you serving the Lord? And if you're a teenager, if you're a younger person than that, if you know the Lord, you can be a true disciple of His. If you're 85 or 185, you can be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. 
by continuing to serve Him with whatever strength you've still got in you, you can serve the Lord. But are you, in some way, serving Him? Have you counted the cost of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I want to end this morning with this quotation from Philippians chapter 3, and I'll put it up there too so that you can see it for yourself. May this be the prayer on your life as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to say that with me. Let's say it all together before the Lord this morning. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that what you strain your life for? The upward call of, Christ Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Everything else stripped away. That is counting the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray that the Lord would do His work in you as He would do it in me. I pray that.